You're listening to the Young Adult Sermon Podcast from First Christian Church. Our hope is that these words bless you, challenge you, and lead you closer to Jesus. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy. I don't know why I say it all right a lot, but I like saying it. It's cool with, like, the deep voice, you know, the kind of thing going on. I don't know. Anyways, tonight, guys, as I said earlier, we are going to be heading off our series of Habakkuk, uh, kind of in the mid uh, section of chapter two. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this series has been uh, amazing. Uh, for me, it's addressed a couple of questions that people might have as far as like, hey, uh, how does it feel when you're a follower of God and yet you're in a broken world, right? It's addressed questions that we get to see a prophet, a man who can oftentimes be depicted as like a perfect man, especially when you read Elijah and, and a bunch of, and Jeremiah and all these other prophets that went to such extremes trying to like follow God. And you look at them and you think, oh my goodness, what the heck? How the heck did that guy do this? Like if I were called to do that, that would be terrifying. And so we see, we get a glimpse of, of what it's like as Habakkuk is questioning God and how he talks to God. Um, and it's cool because we see how Habakkuk, his heart aches. His heart aches at, at these things, and instead of being this fearless, like I said, perfect man of God, uh, he's portrayed as being human like us. And so this book is unique in giving us the perspective of what it means to wrestle with God, wrestle with these things. Josh left us off asking the questions last week, are we going to live by faith or die by doubts? And, and what's really cool um, is that living with the idea that God will bring justice uh, and I will have faith in his righteousness, or will we choose to wander in our doubts and fears? And so in both the combinations of chapter one and two, we see two things, two messages that we've gathered. One, we as people who know God need to be expectant of his goodness and of his actions. And two, to live by faith to live by having faith in the character of God. Paul wrote in Romans, uh, verse 17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteousness, the righteous will live by faith. And so how do we earn this? How do we earn this righteousness? We don't. It's a gift. And when it says from first to last, it means everyone. Everyone obtains this righteousness the same way, a gift free from God. And so in our struggles and in our pain, we hold on to this gift. And it's this gift that we use, choosing to hold on to faith in God rather than anything else. But it can be hard. It can be hard to to do this. We, We may know it, but it may be hard. And why? Because it's easy to look to man And it's easy to view him as the enemy or looking at God as being the enemy or even both. As a Christian, I feel as though we've been called to have a mission in life. I had a mentor in uh, St. Louis who is a police officer. Um, But for 15 years, he worked with the DEA. And so oftentimes, he was actually the guy who they had placed undercover. And so for, like, the majority of his 15 years that he was working with the DEA, he was undercover as a truck driver driving around drugs for the cartel. Insane. 
And, and the stories that this guy came back with were crazy. Like he had to see things and experience things that most people would, would, would like freak out if you had to sit there and just act normal under. And I think oftentimes as we are Christians in this world, we're not hiding, right? But we're in this world where, man, we, we often experience and see things that we should never have seen or experienced. But God warns us of this. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he tells his disciples, he says this, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. In this section, Jesus is saying, look, do not worry about what you will say. On my account, you will be brought before all these officials and higher people and, and all these like crazy, crazy circumstances. And you're going to sit there and think, oh my goodness, what do I say? What do I do? And he says, do not worry. Why? Because you've been called for a mission and I will be there for you. So, as we were left off in Habakkuk chapter 2, I want to start, uh, if you would, open up your Bibles or Bible apps. Go to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. If you don't have a Bible or Bible app, there's Bibles back there too. Um, take one if you need one. It's also free on your phone too. As Josh had left us off last week asking that question, will we live by faith? God continues in this chapter to go into listing several woes against the actions of the Babylonians. And just for those who aren't here, uh, so far what we've been seeing through this book of Habakkuk is basically the people of Israel have been doing crazy injustices. Like, like horrific things, like people being murdered in the streets, horrible things going on. And, and Habakkuk being a prophet of God, knowing who God is, is asking him, God, why are you allowing for these things to happen? And God answers back. He says, don't worry, I will, I will answer for this. I will bring justice. I will bring all these things. And then when he tells Habakkuk how he's going to do it, Habakkuk just responds back, oh, wait, you're going to use the Babylonians to do this? Oh, my gosh, I, I didn't know what you, are you sure you want to use those guys, those guys who are even more evil than these people? And God says back to him in these things, uh, the woes, acknowledging that, hey, I see what they do. And so this is where we pick up. Woes, for those of you who don't know, were used as a mourning cry at funerals, which in this text points to the eventual death of the Babylonian Empire, the evil sins that they had committed. This eventually came about by the Persian king Cyrus in 539 BC, by the way. But let's read these. Verse 4. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Indeed, because he, has trans he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home. Because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations, and he heaps up for himself all peoples. Will not all these take up a proverb against them? and a taunting riddle against him and say. And then he lists these woes. 
What, what does this mean? God's saying, no, 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 look at this, the Babylonian Empire. They're a prideful people. Don't, don't worry, I see what they're doing. They're a prideful people. They are arrogant. There are people who are like death who cannot be satisfied. They are, they are like a proud man because he enlarges his, his desire such as hell. It is never ending. His desires and his satisfaction has never ceased. And so he keeps going. Some of the woes that are mentioned here, and you can scroll through this as I go. But he first mentions woe to the wicked by saying, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long will this go on? Then he skips down and goes, talks about the greedy. Woe to the greedy. Woe to him who builds up his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. Woe to the violent. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Woe to the drunk. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin until they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Woe to the idolater. Woe to him who says to wood, awake. To silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with a gold and silver, yet it is, there is no breath at all. What I find interesting is that God is mentioning these, these characteristics of the Babylonians. Well, what's fascinating is that these things, all these woes that were given to these people, the, the eventual death of the Babylonians because of these things, they were mentioned to the Israels, Israelites beforehand. The Israelites had done these exact same things. And yes, the Babylonian Empire did it for a lot longer. They did it for, they conquered nations like crazy, much more than Israel. But the sin was just the same. But what I find through it all is this. That the desires that you seek will be the desires that will lead you. So us, as we're reflecting on this, man, what are our desires? Where are they leading us? What is it that we're not satisfied with? What is it that we're, we're looking to? Now, I, I, it can be easy to read this, this thing and kind of say to yourself, oh, man, I don't really see this in today's life. Like, this is crazy. Like, just a bunch of people going crazy, like, making wooden, you know, I don't know, idols and stuff and worshiping it. Like, what the heck? But, man, I... You go, to that, you go down to L.A., and you'll see, like, man, people are worshiping something. People are worshiping other people. I remember when I was in eighth grade. Um, actually, it was, it was seventh grade. Uh, I remember I was in seventh grade, and I used to be into acting. I loved it. I loved every part of acting. I loved to uh, be there and kind of do the script and do the scene and kind of be up on stage or doing something, right, either theater or acting or whatever. I just loved being able to escape and to be something that I, you know, wasn't, right? And uh, I really got into it. And so I actually have a couple of pictures, if you want to show them. They're kind of blackmail, so don't. <laughs> well, this, this first one's pretty cool. This was with uh, the, the star of um, uh, Zeke and Luther, if you guys remember that show. That guy was Cujo. The guy who would, like, smack his butt and say Cujo. That was that guy. Um, and I actually went to an acting academy with him, which was really cool. Uh, uh, Zeke and Luther. It was like a skateboarder show. It, yeah, really. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you guys know. What I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, thank you. Okay, I'm not the only one. Josh, you're old, all right? All right, so, yeah, no. <laughs> that 
know. So yeah. So anyways, so that that was also me too. I had a couple of photo shoots and whatnot, but yeah, like I was really into it. And so I went to this academy with like all these different people who did all these different things eventually. Um, and it was, it was really cool. Um, and, uh, and I, I loved it. But man, some of the people that I got to see eventually go down that road, man, they, they were lost. I mean, talk about satisfaction that was never, just desires that were never ceased, like unable to satisfy their quench. Crazy. A bunch of self-worship. And so I say that to say, man, that stuff is real out there. And eventually I, I came across Christ, which changed my life and really spun me around. But if I didn't, man, I don't, I'm not saying I would be famous or anything by no means, but I don't know where I'd be. Maybe I'd be the homeless dude in L.A. thinking he's going to be famous, right? I don't know. But what I'm, am I here to say is this. If we're talking about being on a mission for Christ, how easy is it to be distracted, Right? If you're being called to do something, to live for something, and to be for something, man, how easy is it to get distracted? And, and if so, then what mission did you choose? God is saying, woe to these things, for those desires that you chase cause destruction and will also reap destruction on your own head. And God's saying, eventually, your time will end. Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. As a follower of God in a nation that isn't following God, it can be a little, it can be easy to, to see where Habakkuk is coming from. You don't even have to get political to really see the, the injustice that you see socially then you can get political and see the injustice, right? There's a lot of things going on. And we're not, we shouldn't be blind or mute to it. What's cool about Habakkuk is he talks about him being on a watchtower. And being on a watchtower means that he's being expectant. Luke 22 says this, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Who is this? This is the disciples as they're walking with Jesus. (laughs) And I find this interesting because they're literally walking with Jesus and they already lose sight of what's important. Literally walking with Jesus. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you shall be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred on me, one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
God is saying that there's a much bigger concern that we need to have rather than just the temporary things of this world. God is saying that, man, we need to shift our focus from what we think is great and acknowledging that that thing is worthless in comparison to the kingdom of God. And I think a lot of Christians, has, we've lost sight of what it means to be important, what it, what it means to have value. It's not in what this world says, but it's in what Christ says. Habakkuk hears these things from God. He hears, okay, God is saying, no, I see these wrong things, and don't you worry, Habakkuk. I will make sure that their time will eventually end as well. And so Habakkuk responds back with this prayer in chapter 3. And he prays this, if you want to turn with me to chapter 3. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day and in our time make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. The way that Habakkuk starts off this prayer is he's saying, I acknowledge who you are, God. I, I have heard of your fame. I remember what you've done. And then what's so cool is that for anybody who's familiar with Old, uh, Old Testament literature, you, you're able to recognize some of the stories that come out of this prayer. And as I read through this, I, w- I want to take a second to acknowledge, hey, if you're somebody who's really struggling with something, if you're somebody who's at a crossroads or somebody who's dealing with giants in their life right now, Pray this prayer in your mind, but, but think about all the things that God has personally done for you. It's important. For Habakkuk, it was these things. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and withered. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of the wicked. You stripped him from head to foot. With its own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I'll pause real quick. What's so cool is that this is actually a vision that that Habakkuk was having. He's having this vision where he's picturing what the Lord has done in Israel's past, as God had done these things. God had came down from Taman, from the Mount Paran, how he allowed pestilence and earthquakes. He caused the land of Midian to dribble. God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites walked through. God caused the sun and the moon to stand still. And all these things were recorded and mentioned here as a prayer to God, as a way to think, to be thankful for what he has done. 
And so for us, when we read this thing, do we ourselves write our own prayers to God? Do we, do we pray our own prayers of what he's done? It, it does a number of things. When we pray, it blesses God. But it also blesses us. As our hearts are reminded of who he is. Are you, those who are stressed and burdened, those who are facing things and evil in this world, reminded of what God has accomplished in the past? If not, remind yourself. Hands it off saying this. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. The K, jeez, crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be, I will be rejoyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk is exclaiming that though he fears what may happen, he trusts in the Lord. Though he knows that there will be no food, he will rejoice. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer, like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. What I love about who God is is that he keeps things real with you. A lot of people are out there preaching false gospels, saying that, oh, man, God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be rich. God wants this success for you. And then they'll add on, oh, if you give me some money, by the way, I'll heal. You'll, you'll get some healing and blessing too, which isn't true. What God wants is for a people to be able to, to withstand the, the trials of this world, not in their own strength, but in the strength of God. What he wants is for people to know him, to be close to him, not to be, to be perfect, which is unrealistic and, and just untrue, but to be people who are going to him. What we should know knowing this truth is that whenever things come up, we should be running to him, not away from him. Not to be turning towards people or distractions or other things that are nonsense. But to remember that God has a plan for you. God has a hope for you, and he wants to be there for you in it. John 16 is the last uh, couple of verses I got for you. And it says this. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. He's talking to his disciples, Jesus. And he's saying, all of you will eventually leave. He's talking about when he died and then everybody fled. But he says this last part. Verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. God, I desire you. I thank you for your revealing yourself to me. And I pray that other people tonight would be able to hear from you as well. God, as we wrap up Habakkuk and the lessons that we've learned, I pray that we'd be able to take away the truth 
that you have given to us, which is that though things on the outside may not change, I pray that you would be able to change the things on the inside of us. That God, when we see you face to face in the end of ages, God, I pray that we'd be able to look at you and say thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for who you are in my life. And yes, those things were horrible. But God, we have you. I pray that if there's anyone in here tonight who is struggling to find the need for God, anybody who's struggling to to really acknowledge that all they need is Jesus, I pray that you'd make that known. God, I pray that you'd impress upon each one of our hearts that every day we'd wake up wanting you. And God, if our hearts say no, if our desires conflict, God, I pray that we, each one of us, would be able to turn to you and ask us, ask you to change our hearts, God. To change our hearts to be able to be close to you, to turn towards you. God, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your strength, and we thank you for your love. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.